Faith Factor Impact, episode number 11. Hey everybody, welcome to Faith Factor Impact, where we hang out with today's top nonprofit thought leaders to get refueled, reconnected, and inspiration. So let's go. Take time to love, take time to build our relationships with people that you really love, uh, because once they're gone, you can't take that time back. And we are live. Hello, Impact listeners. Jay Everline here, your host, and I am stoked to present to you today our featured guest, Matt Houston. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Jay, how you doing? It's great to be on this show. Matt Houston is chief of staff of Beam, a company that offers bundled technology and professional services to provide high quality back office services and the capacity to grow. Matt is also principal of MLH Enterprises and has been a consultant for organizations such as the Nelson Mandela Foundation and KIPP Charter School System. Prior to his most recent post, he was the executive director of Group Excellence, a mentoring and tutoring company that provides programs to schools across the country. Matt is a top-notch thought leader that's doing work that matters and making an impact. So, Matt... Welcome to the show, man. I'm so excited to have you here. Take a few minutes and just give us a small glimpse into your journey. Jamberline, thank you. Um, as you as you said earlier, I am chief of staff of Beam, and it's a service organization that provides technological um, and strategic services for nonprofit organizations. We want to help nonprofits who are doing good in the community be more efficient. And by being able to work with them, um, we can impact more people across the globe. Wonderful. So, Matt, we always start to show off with the reflection, and I know you've got one that is steep with wisdom. So can you take a moment, a little quiet the noise, that's what the reflection is all about, and give us what your reflection is today? It's a very simple saying that my father used to tell me, Um, and my family. And it's simply say what you do and do what you say. Um, When you get to the core of what you want to do professionally um, and uh, academically through your professional services or through politically throughout your city and your community, you want to have a solid name and solid reputation. And you do that by saying what you do and doing what you say. And I just take that every day um, so that I can become a better person, so that I can make this world um, a little bit better than I left it. I love it, man. Be a person of your word. Say what you're going to do, what you say, and, and, and say what you do. All right. Well, that's a way to start us off. So, Matt, you, you've had an interesting journey, and we're, we're hanging out at the local coffee shop there in Dallas, Texas, having a quick chat. chat. And I want to learn a bit more about you personally, the steps you took to get to where you are today, a, a little bit more about who you are, Matt. So, so share your story. Well, I'm a native Dallasite, I'm born and raised in an area of Dallas called Oak Cliff. It's actually a place where I, I purchased my house, living about a mile away from where I grew up. And it's a place um, that has many opportunities for economic development, um, educational opportunities, um, and it's stereotypically a blighted community. Um, my goal 
um, as my as my family, as my organizations um, have, di- have directed and guided me, um, is to uplift areas um, so that we can make society come home. And the reason why I have that mindset is from my family background. Um, my father um, was a, a multi generational entrepreneur. Um, his training was in banking, but he also became executive director of the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce. And so from there, um, I learned the importance of business ownership. And as I grew businesses, uh, my first business was actually at 13, uh, when my dad stopped giving me allowance and gave me a lot more of gasoline and told me to cut the neighbor's yards um, uh, and loaned me this, this equipment um, so that I could cut for three months so I could get the the amount of money for the whole year, it showed me the importance of budgeting, showed me the importance of time management, and I fell in love with it. Um, as I graduated high school and went to college, um, I started several other businesses. I was in the band. I started managing that band. Um, but most importantly, I wanted to do something that wasn't only enterprising, but was making a difference. And we started a Group Excellence out of a Chick-fil-A line during lunchtime at SMU, Southern Methodist University, in 2004. And the reason why we started it was because we saw there were a lot of students in elementary, middle, and high schools who were not going to have the chance uh, to go to a top-tier institution like SMU, strictly because of their academic scores. And we, um, a couple of students and myself, wanted to bridge that gap. Traditionally, lower socioeconomic uh, schools were not able to equip uh, students with SAT, ACT prep. Um, So we wanted to do that. Uh, We wanted to provide a cheap way to motivate and inspire students to achieve excellence. And by having that model, bringing in big brothers, big sisters into elementary schools uh, for them to look up to and then to encourage them to continue with their studies, we would want to make uh, the education space better by allowing them to improve their math scores. Um, Consequently, uh, we became the second largest tutoring company in the state of Texas, and we branched nationally. Um, I'm definitely on the high at this point. So I decided to do a lot of volunteer work and being involved with my local Urban League affiliate, as well as the Dallas Black Chamber, which my father was a chair um, and ED for uh, the eight, during the 80s and 90s, and I wanted to play my part. Um, so the last five years, I've been volunteering, helping organizations build their infrastructure, um, helping them get spread the word, the importance of doing good. And now, uh, August of 2014, or 2015, excuse me, we started being a consulting services organization that helps nonprofits Uh, with the business management and strategy to do good for more people. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I really want to be able to upgrade um, good people uh, doing great things uh, so that we can benefit society, so that we can go home and rest at night knowing that we've made a difference. 
Yeah, man. I love it. Cut the cord at 13, multiple entrepreneurial ventures, volunteer work, nonprofit work, second in class in terms of things that he's up to. Man, what a story. Thanks for taking us on that ride and giving us a peek into the story you're sticking to, Matt. Uh, that That's awesome. <laughs> so, so, Matt. You know, after you've reached this point, I mean, you shared a lot in, 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 in your background and your story. And after you've reached this point where you are today, there can be this perception that things have always worked out and that you've never had any problems. But, you know, that is so far from the truth. I know that you would agree with that. And and so I want to know um, what has been a valley moment that you've had? Tell us about that most difficult moment um, that you've had along your journey that's real. Take us there. Tell us what that was like. What was it? And uh, share with us. Well, there are peaks and valleys for, for everyone's lifetime. And I am a man of faith. And I believe God um, gives us valleys so that we can grow um, and become stronger. And so I've had a couple um, in my lifetime um, throughout college, a little bit after college, uh, but the most significant one that really changed my whole outlook on uh, life was in 2007. And I spoke a lot of my family. I, I'm the baby of the family. I'm the youngest male, the youngest child um, of, the, of the household. And in 2007, I lost my father and my brother within three and a half months of each other. Mm. And that was devastating as I moved from being baby boy of the family to being man of the house. And I wasn't ready. Um, professionally, I was in an amazing space, um, so much that I allowed my ego um, as, as a young 23-year-old person uh, who's living high on the hog, um, downtown living, loft life, popping bottles. I was not doing what I could do to impact my family, and my people. And so my people being residents of Dallas, the North Texas region, the state of Texas in general, I was thinking very selfishly. And God allowed me uh, to go through this valley of death, um, literally, um, so that I can, one, be a better son to my mother, I'll be a better brother to my sister, uh, but most importantly, understand that material things is so insignificant um, and that you need to be more um, for people and more for his kingdom. And so I went through a dark phase for years, um, and, I, and I coped in, through different ways. But around 2010, 2011, um, instead of me being a workaholic, I started understanding um, the importance of family, and understand the importance of giving back. And so um, we sold group excellence, um, and then I started doing a lot of volunteer work. I was doing some consulting on the side. I had some investments on the side, but I really wanted to focus on helping people um, because that's what I was getting joy from. And with that, um, allowed me to be focused um, for my future. And in fact, I want to be able to make sure as long as I have breath on this earth, uh, that I want to be able to uh, enhance the life uh, of people. Man, wow, what a story. Um, you know, losing your father and then your brother all doing such a short period of time, 
Um, and, and you've, you've made it through that, man. And, and just, you know, how'd you do that though? I mean, what, 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 what pushed you through that moment, um, in, in your time? Like, how did you make it through it? So initially there were vices, um, there's alcohol, there's partying, um, there's women. And that was the very unhealthy way to cope. Um, and a lot of that was primarily because I didn't want to address it internally. I did not want to um, take ownership emotionally. But fortunately, I did a good enough job. I was around enough good people um, that I had a support system that was patient with me. And once I, once I really hit bottom, I was just probably around 2009 uh, because I realized it didn't matter what I was doing professionally, what I was doing societally in terms of social status, things of that nature. I still had this huge void inside. And God talked to me through people. And he, he, he allowed me uh, to kind of come home. And that really pushed me through. Uh, the reservoir that I built up, um, before that, I didn't know I was building up, which brings brings me to one of the books my mentor had me read upon graduating college uh, by Harvey McKay, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. And that's pretty much a book that talks about the importance of networking and being able to create um, key contacts organically, um, not for a, an ulterior motive, but building up your reservoir so that you are able to um, go to it in time of need. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And whenever, when I realized that um, there, was a, there was a void that I needed feeling, that needed feeling, and I was ready for it, I allowed people, I was dependent on people to help me out. And that's because I was able to have, um, I was able to organically build positive relationships with people um, unknowingly. Man, Matt, that's, that's deep, man. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that story uh so many people listening can okay. resonate I, with with where what you shared and uh, and now that you've shared your story and you're on the other side of that uh there's hope for other people who who may be experiencing the same thing so good stuff so so matt um, i want to go just a little bit deeper not that we haven't uh, been deep already with the story that you've shared but uh, uh, jay i was thinking i'm already sitting on the couch brother um I don't know how much more he needs me to go, but I'm I'm here. I'm on I'm on the ride with you. All right, let's let's ride. I, let's let's do it. Uh, we believe there is this faith factor at work in every person that is clearly making a difference in the world. And boy, are you doing that? And so it's this one factor that propels you to keep going in spite of the odds, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the setbacks. And so. Matt, what's your faith factor? What's the thing that you believe is bigger than you that keeps you going? Well, the the biggest thing for me is understand I have a purpose and a mission. And the purpose and mission isn't on my task list that I, I set every day or every week, um, but it comes from a supreme being, um, uh, being his representative. Um, and understanding that it's very important for God to have ministers in every aspect of life, um, not just confined to a church or a synagogue, which traditionally in our culture we see as a, as the spiritual leader. 
uh, but to have ambassadors in every aspect of society and understanding where I where I'm placed in that in that pecking order um, really helps my faith um, because if you are seeking God or if you're seeking peace um, but you have no idea how you can contribute to um, his program you can be frustrated as as a for me, for as a Christian, um, because you have no purpose, you have no sense. Um, but once you understand you've been in tune with yourself personally, um, you don't let the noise dictate um, your actions, and you actually fully understand the gifts that you've been given. Um, because we didn't create these gifts. Uh, we were given gifts, and we understand where it comes from. It allows you um, to hone in on your purpose here on this earth. And that's what's really been carrying me, just the discovery of what I can do. And the more that the, the more I know, the more I don't know. The more that I realize I'm learning, the more that I realize that I don't know. The same as with my spiritual life. As I was trying to get in tune and I was becoming satisfied or being on the spiritual high, I realized there are so many other um, ways to explore the depths of Christianity for God's kingdom. And once you get to that point, um, that'll allow you to motivate, that'll motivate you uh, to practice daily. And it's a struggle. We're all human nature, but um, the, the, the journey is what makes it worth it. Wow. So, folks, for Matt, it's his faith. It's his mission. It's his purpose. What's the thing that keeps driving you? What's your faith factor? What's that thing that keeps you uh, up at night? Find that, identify that and latch on to that. So, Matt, you're a talented person. You've got a lot of skills. You could be doing anything you want to do. Why have you chosen to do the work that you're doing? I want to make impact. I want to be significant over successful. And and with my background uh, and my knowledge in the environment of, of being an entrepreneur and building economic ecosystems, I want to be a tool and a resource for people um, because of the expertise um, and the 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 technology and access I've I've been granted. And so I want to be a vessel. And so by being a vessel to do good. Bean really helps me be that ambassador for nonprofits for efficiency. And people use McKinsey or people can use Boston consulting groups um, to to better their organization, but it's cost prohibitive with a sub 500,000 or a sub 250,000 nonprofit who his motivation is driven by either some personal experience and they want to build capacity to have a great neighborhood nonprofits, or um, the fact that nonprofits need to focus all of their resources on doing good rather than staff or rather than systems that's not allowing programs to be executed. And so I want to be that solution for those organizations. And I was, I've been blessed to have a partner in Peter Swanson, who is a genius, by the way, when it comes to numbers, analytics, 
um, technological processes. And so by having um, the mouthpiece, which is me, um, and the back office guru, um, and we have the same passion of improving organizations um, and to be a resource for them, um, we are able to help people across the country. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, that is the the real deal, Holyfield. So um, on that note, I want to transition a bit here to impact leadership. Um, okay. and, and so w- when I talk to leaders like yourself, Matt, there's often this defining moment along your leadership journey that really influenced your direction uh, as a leader. And you shared a few things with us already, but what, what's been the thing that's mostly influenced your leadership style? People. People have been the number one dictator, um, influencer of my leadership style um, because the purpose of being a leader is to influence. And the way you influence is understand uh, the people who you are around and guide them and shepherd them um, to to a place that's favorable um, for your agenda. And you have to have a positive goodwill agenda um, in order to be an effective leader. And so people that I surround myself with, when it comes to mentors, when it comes to elder stakesmen or stakeswomen um, who I look up to, really dictated the direction I desired. Then the people who I surrounded myself who were my peers, really uh, who listened to me or who I was able to feed energy off of synergetically um, so we can move forward together was a great influence as well as people who I desire um, to either fill my shoes or to succeed me. People dictate my leadership style. That's good, man. People all around you influencing you. But I want to, I want to kind of uh, corner you here a little bit, Matt. Was there, was there a a moment when you look back and and think about all of the experiences you've had, all of the, uh, the mentors that you've interacted with, all of the moments of, of leadership, was there something that just stuck out that you can go back to and, and, and talk a little bit about that moment? I can speak on volumes of how different people really influenced my life. Um, but one in particular um, is is my mentor who introduced me to the Harvey McKay book, um, Dig Well Before You're Thirsty. I actually met him in high school, and I was a part of this leadership program, and I, I'm, a, I'm a product of Dallas Public Schools. Um, I was in a magnet program, but out of that um the top seniors across the district all went to this retreat spot about an hour and a half away from the city. And he ended up being one of my um, camp mentors. He was VP of a bank, um, SMU graduate, um, African-American male, former athlete. He was a track and football star, uh, but he also um, was a very key person, um, one of the top graduates at the SMU Business School, which is a very prestigious program. Uh, and he's made a great name here in Dallas. And I initially just thought he was cool. I knew I wasn't going to run track and play football, but he was cool. He was one of the old guys who had the new running shoe on. And that kind of struck a chord with me. And we, we built a relationship throughout the camp. And we found out that he actually knew my father and 
I was telling you my father back my father's background is in banking, but he uh became an entrepreneur um and and then with the black chamber. Well, while he was a corporate banker, my mentor was a college student at SMU and was looking for an internship. And it that it it happenstance that this African American man in the seventies, who was a college student, star athlete, was looking for a job and my father hired him as his intern. Well my father was one of the only African American bankers at the bank and that motivated my mentor to do well in banking. And so the the real pivotal moment is seeing the cycle complete and that I wasn't planning on meeting him um, but at the camp. But once we started talking and he found out who my father was, he told me things of my dad I didn't know. Um, and from in his perspective, he spoke so positively uh, from the experience that that's what I want people to do for me. And in, so in order to do that, uh, you have to make sure you have the right heart and the right intentions at all times. Um, things will get complicated. Things will get complex. But if you're in the right spirit of things, anyone would, anyone would understand and can synthesize your rationale so that you're overall, for generations, making a positive impact. I love it. Old guy, new running shoes. That's the first one for me, man. But I like it. I'm gonna have oh, to. Man. I'm gonna have to use that one someday. <laughs> so, so on Faith Factor Impact, we we believe that that effective leadership can be the difference between thriving and surviving. And as a as a person who works with nonprofits, has been a nonprofit leader, what, what does effective leadership mean to you? And what do you what would you say separates the the good from the great? Well. You have to have a plan. Um, nonprofits typically are started um, from your heart, um, but they're sustained with your mind. And so you have to be able to have the heart to, to, to do good for society, but that's only the first 60%. There are 92,000 nonprofits in the state of Texas alone. Um, out of those 92,000 nonprofits, over 75% of them uh, have a budget that's less than $1 million. And what that says is that there are a lot of nonprofits who are not maximizing their uh, resources. And so you have to couple your heart with a plan. And when you have a plan, you can create systems um, um, of integrity, of checks and balances when it comes to governance formation, day-to-day operation, checks and balances, and you're able to create sustainable systems that can replicate based on the purpose and not the persons. And once you have those type of systems, once you make nonprofits in the state that you can run it like a business, but you have the heart um, for the organization or for the community, then you'll be able to succeed. Mm, like it. I like it. Um, so, so, you know, one of the catalysts as, as we dovetail from, from those comments of, of me, of starting this show was that my experience with seeing a nonprofit leaders burnout, man, you work with a lot of nonprofits. You've seen a lot of things. You've been an executive director yourself. Share with us, like, how do we keep from burning out? Like, 
What does that look like for you? Have you ever experienced burnout yourself? Yes. Sorry. No. I jumped the gun there. No, go. <laughs> but I'm emphatic. I'm emphatic that I was, I've been burned out several times. And a lot of it is because nonprofit executives burn candles from both ends. And there's no replenishing wax station nearby um, because you feel that you're, you're on an island. Um, and so it's very easy to burn out um, because your heart will allow you to do things that's illogical. And that means I will stay at the office 12, 15 hours a day um, and then work from home for another five hours and not get enough rest uh, so that I can be efficient um, or sustain this for the long term. That's one way of burning out. Or um, you can focus on one thing too heavily. You can focus on programs and the people so much that you're not focusing on your back office and your reporting, which is so key for nonprofit organizations in its viability in health. Um, because if you don't report effectively, if you don't turn in your 990s, if you don't do your, your monthly tax, salary taxes, if you don't do those things that you have to do because you're an organization, you're not going to survive the long run out of being uh, a viable nonprofit. And most funders want to fund nonprofits that have some reputation or some long-term existence um, in a particular community because they don't want a fly-by-night organization. And so all of these, all of these factors wear, wear on you. They've worn on me. I'm at Group Excellence. During expansion, uh, we wanted to impact every kid in rural and urban Texas. And so we were driving uh, all over the state. I was living out of my truck for about three weeks out of the month. And so I would drive from Tyler, Houston, Palestine, San Antonio, Austin. I would go down to Harlingen. I would go down to Brownsville. I would go up to McAllen. I would go to El Paso. We would go to Amarillo. We were going all over the place um, trying to create organizations that helps kids, but we weren't helping ourselves. Mm. We weren't getting enough rest. We weren't being able to create systems to sustain um, the type of capacity that we desired. And so you have to beware uh, and create some type of solution that will allow you to grow to scale so that you can have as many people at the rate that you desire to, to go. Yeah. Folks, you know, Matt's shared with you his experience with burnout. Everybody reaches that point at different times and different ways. It comes in different for- shapes and forms. And so be mindful of that. G- get help, you know, rest, uh, understand that, you know, putting in all those hours at certain times is necessary. But if you're doing that all of the time, you're destined for burnout. And so we want to we want to see you continue to do the great work, but if you don't take care of yourself, you know, we may we may not have you to continue to do that. So so be mindful of that. So so you know, Matt, I want I want to get into this a little bit more. And so th- there's a lot of research about us operating 
uh, in our area of strength. And I think this this kind of dovetails as well into the last question about burnout. And, and so, you know, operating in your area of strength to get the greatest result possible, you know, in nonprofit space, you a lot of times have to be a lot of things to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what research tells us is that doesn't always get you the greatest result, the greatest return. And, and we believe here on Faith Factor Impact that God has given each and every individual a genius level talent. And so tell us what's that mm-hmm. genius talent for you and how do you consistently stay in that space? Well, I, I feel that my I pray that my genius level talent is a, being a catalyst for change and the way that I realized that is based on the mistakes that I've made in previous organizations or my life experiences. And I find the common thing that worked. And so the common thing for every incident that I've had was whatever organization I either built, uh, developed, or was a part of the board, I was able to impact people to do more than what they were initially, that they were originally doing. And, that is such an quote unquote intangible type of activity or uh, characteristic. But the more things that you are involved with, the better you're able to see your strengths and the better you're able to see what your purpose is in organizations. And as I evolved and as I made mistakes and as I was able to make progress in in my organizations, I started seeing the common thread, which was I have a capacity to motivate people, uh, to inspire and motivate people to do things. And so I would do that. I would use that as my tangible skill set going to a team. And so some people may be great with analytics. I'm great. Uh, I think, I pray uh, of getting people together and getting people excited about something and, and being able to build that relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, I have, I'm proficient in skill sets, but that's the core thing that I can, I can contribute um, to a team. Good. So my big takeaway from that is, guys, you learn by doing. I mean, Matt kind of talked right. a lot about you know, him, him learning this new thing about skill sets that he has. And so what you, what you may have heard, I heard it at least is that what he's doing today is through the discovery of the things that he most uh, was most strong at. And so think about that. You, you can't start to uh, learn what you're good at until you get going and start paying attention to those things. So be be mindful of that as you identify, if you haven't already, focusing in on your genius talent. We all have it. So, Matt, we're going to enter into what we call this 10-second response round. And so I want to okay. get in your head. These are 10-second these are responses. And so let's do it. Name the top two skills you believe are needed to be successful as a nonprofit leader that were perhaps not as critical in the past. You need to have a heart and passion, and you need to be relentless. You can never give up. Share one or two tactics you use to attract others with great talent to be a part of what you're doing. Be vulnerable. Sell your heart, one. And secondly, once you sell your heart, show them that there's a plan to include them and to the solution. If you could instantly gain a skill set of any leader you admire, what would that be? Wow, that's a great, that's a great question. I would love to be able to contemplate and strategize 
just as our president does strategically as being a world leader. What is something you struggle with the most, Matt? Pride. <laughs> so this is not a 10-second answer, but I will make it as quick as possible. Pride always clouds my purpose with allowing me to see how good I'm doing. And whenever I see how good I'm doing or how good I am, I'm getting out of the purpose of God. Love it. So, Matt, what's the what's the one big thing as we talk about community work and strategic partnerships? What's the one big thing you're working on right now that most excites you? Jay, I'm, I'm glad you're saying that. Uh, the one big thing I'm working on um, is an organization called Ignite DFW. Um, Ignite is a mini TED Talk, um, and they are allowing me to to speak on being or to speak on the importance of having millennials um, who are technologically savvy uh, to be in nonprofit organizations to build their efficiencies so that we can all work together to do good. So I'm really excited about talking about BEAM um, to Ignite DFW. Awesome. How do you think about, you know, cultivating strategic partnerships as you, you know, do some of the work that you're doing and maybe share one example of a partnership that, uh, it's been the most successful um, in your journey, and, and tell us why. Exposure is so important to people who are disadvantaged. And I learned that directly um, from my experiences working with the Nelson Mandela Foundation. Um, as you heard in my intro, I've worked with uh, various organizations. I worked with KIPP School to create a leadership program for eighth graders. Um, in a lower social economic area in Dallas um, on Saturdays to teach them about international business, but primarily expose, expose them to things outside of their normal environment. It was a six-month program. We spent two Saturdays a month um, for about four hours each just talking to them, bringing in speakers, giving them tools to get them ready, not only for academics in high school, but the importance of influence and leadership. Uh, and then we capped our experience by going to South Africa for two weeks to have them meet family members of Nelson Mandela. Um, they met their granddaughters. They actually, these eighth graders actually donated or raised funds to build a library at a school in a township outside of Johannesburg. Uh, and they were there for the opening so that they saw what little dollars they they were able to raise in the United States, which in their mind, they thought they were poor, saw them build a library for people uh, that weren't directly uh, friends with them and saw how you can live an ocean away and make positive impact. Mm -hmm. And also we toured, they went to another country. Uh, they went to New York. We took them to New York for two days. And it was a great experience for people who've never flown on a plane before, never had a passport, uh, they ex they were excited. Um, and now as high schoolers, they have a broader vision or a broader ceiling that they can achieve um, because of their exposure. Mm, that's good. Good stuff. So name one thing that you've done as we think about strategic partnerships and community work uh, to leverage technology. Obviously, you've got you've got Beam, your chief of chief of staff there. Uh, but but how have you leveraged technology to accomplish your goals and and achieve those things? Well, I was, I'm past chair of the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce. The Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce is 90 years old this year. Um, so we are, we are a 
a foundational piece in the African-American community here in Dallas. Uh, but what we did was update our website and created a business directory online. Um, typically, historically, we would have Yellow Page-esque um, directories that business owners can put their businesses and contact information in books. But while I was chair, I was able to combine some developers and create a Dallas Black Chamber app, but also be able to create an online database where they can just go to our website, dallasblackchamber.org. And if you want to find an accountant, search accountant. If you want to find an attorney, search attorney. If you want to find a carpenter, search carpenter, and they can find hundreds of people um, who are business owners in Dallas to support small businesses. So I would, I would encourage all nonprofit leaders to try to incorporate uh, one or two people who are familiar with technology so that they can contribute to building um, an efficient technological system for your nonprofit. Good stuff. So before we leave, I have some final questions for you. If you could talk to your younger self, what advice would you give little Matt? The one thing I would tell my more arrogant Matt earlier uh, with hair and ambition um, is to appreciate your loved ones. Take time to love. Take time to understand. Take time to build our relationships with the people that you really love um, because once they're gone, you can't take that time back and you don't want regrettable moments when you have an opportunity to hang out or watch the game with someone, um, but instead you were in the office working. So be able to capitalize on spending time with people you love. Mm. Words to live by. Matt, share one book you've read that has had a lasting impact on the way you approach your work. The Five Love Languages. Um, I'm actually rereading that now. People typically read that book when they're in a relationship or they're married, uh, but reading that book will help you identify and communicate effectively to different types of people. Um, it also helps you to understand how you receive information so that you can maximize your communication and your effectiveness with your team. So I would, I would recommend people read The Five Love Languages. I agree. Great book. And before we close, share one action our listeners can take in the next two weeks to pursue impact in their community. And then finally, tell us where we can go to find out more about you. Things that people can do in the next two weeks. One, write a list of things that you are passionate about. I would limit this list to about 10 items. And out of those 10 things, label three things that is so pressing that you want to be able to spend hours doing. And once you find those three things, try to find organizations that support that cause. If you can't find one, think about creating one. And then the second thing I would urge people to do in the next two weeks is to talk to loved ones and get feedback on how they perceive you um, and how they think you can make an impact in society. And so if you couple the three pressing things that you're passionate about with the feedback of loved ones 
that knows you enough to say, you are really excited when you do this. Try to couple that together to make impact in your society. You can reach me at matt at gobeam, G-O-B-E-A-M dot C-O. Um, you can email me there. You can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, at Mr. Matt Houston, M-R-M-A-T-T-H-O-U-S-T-O-N. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook. Words of the wise from my mentor, Dave Ramsey. The difference between the you now and the you later is the people you meet and the books you read. And you've been listening to Matt Houston and Jay Everline. Head over to faithfactorimpact.com and access the show notes page for this interview and other episodes. And until next time, go make an impact.